0: Welcome to episode eight of China in Context. I'm Duncan Bartlett. Now this week, I want to start our podcast with some words by China's president, Xi Jinping. Here they are. We must concentrate our efforts on bettering our own affairs, continually broadening our comprehensive national power, improving the lives of our people, building a socialism that is superior to capitalism, and laying the foundation for a future where we will win the initiative and have the dominant position. So the word which we're going to concentrate on today in relation to China is superior. What does it mean for China? And what does it mean for the world? We're joined once again by George Magnus, one of our regular commentators, who's a research associate at the SOAS China Centre, University of London, and the author of the book, Red Flags, Xi's China in Jeopardy. Welcome back, George. Thank you. So what do you make of the way in which President Xi speaks of building a socialism that's superior to capitalism?
1: Well, I don't think there's any doubt or equivocation in that uh, the way that he's kind of described this. I mean, the, the quotation, I think, is, comes from a speech that he made um to the um, 19th party congress if i'm not mistaken but uh whenever it was um that kind of spirit really of 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 struggle i think is something that has come out uh, a lot in the rhetoric uh from from the president and and from others um and i think they they do see themselves actually as in a struggle with the united states a long-term struggle in which i think China would, or the Chinese Communist Party, would, likes to think that its system will emerge as not just the equal of the United States, but actually dominant, um, and uh, China is kind of discussing really the plans to become what they call a moderately successful socialist economy by 2035, uh, by which time they hope to have obviously increased their income per head Uh, by a significant amount again. And by 2049, um, a highly developed socialist market economy, I think is the phrase they use. But I think that's basically generally seen as code for we want to be equivalent to the United States in terms of economic and political power by the middle of the century. Um, And I think beyond that, one can only imagine that they would like to be
0: dominant. But it's inevitable, though, isn't it, that as China grows and opens up to the world and becomes more involved in international trade, that its influence will increase. All countries want their influence to increase, don't they?
1: Uh, No question about it. And um, I think that we have seen clearly through the uh, Belt and Road Initiative, which Most people have originally thought that this was um, uh, a way in which, you know, Chinese banks and Chinese construction companies would uh, bring economic and financial goodies to the emerging and developing world. I mean, we now know it's really a signature part of or is the signature foreign policy of Xi Jinping. Um, it has lots of economic trappings and manifestations and features, but it's not just about economics. It's about commerce. It's about branding. It's about influence. It's about um, soft power. It's about uh, essentially kind of signing up. I, I mean, I don't think China is trying to change the world uh, in its own image and 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 you know imp- and um, force countries to adopt anything uh, in particular. But I do think it is after. A kind of a political global environment in which more and more countries will acquiesce in, be compliant with and support Chinese values and Chinese goals, um, whatever they might be.
0: One of the themes that emerges a lot in writings about China is that we're now in the Asian century. The old American-led international system is breaking down. What do you think China's place is in the new world order?
1: clearly china's immediate focus is is to be the dominant power in asia people will continue to have discussions and arguments about whether china has global power aspirations but i don't think anybody doubts that china is quite clearly the biggest economic power in asia by far um and um and it would like to to mold and to shape asia this of course applies not just to E- economics and commerce, but to security, to uh, maritime interests, you know, the islands in the South and East China Sea, um, pushing the American Pacific Fleet, um, you know, further and further away from uh, China's immediate maritime region, um, security of supply routes uh, for oil and raw materials, for example, um, building the string of pearls, so called. Uh, which is a series of kind of ports and naval facilities which ring India.
0: Well, George, you're obviously a scholar of uh, Xi Jinping thought. Uh, Let me share with you some more quotes from President Xi, indeed from the speech that he gave to the 19th Party Congress in 2017. He declared that China has stood up, grown rich and is becoming strong, and that it was now blazing a new trail for other developing countries. I think that's a crucial point here, isn't it? That China sees itself as a leader of the developing world.
1: Yes, I think that's uh, that's true. Um, I think China is trying to shape, through its interactions, its commercial, economic, financial, political interactions with countries in Africa, Asia, Latin America. Is trying to trying to shape an emerging and developing world in which it can rely on the support. For uh, its policies and its um, system, not, not I don't think it I don't think it's adamant or insistent at all about you know that w- people have to have one-party rule. I don't think it's adamant that anybody has to have you know a kind of a communist party in office. Uh, none of these things I think apply in the way that they might have done, let's say, under the former Soviet Union. But what does China want? It wants to have influence in the emerging and developing world
0: when it comes to the rivalry between the us and china you wrote recently that america's economic security derives from the strength and structure of its economy and its financial system do you think that strength is in any way diminished in recent years
1: unquestionably I mean, I think um, there are some things that have been going on for quite some time. So neglect of infrastructure, sitting on its laurels, you know, I mean, obviously the 80s and the 90s were a kind of a a good time for the United States in terms of its economy. Uh, Information communications technologies were basically spawning, um, you know, changes and um, uh, all sorts of things which... um, have now become kind of commonplace. But I think um, the 2000s uh, were a kind of a, a decade of complacency. and uh, obviously the cr- the crash that happened in two thousand and eight, two thousand and nine was was a, a serious body blow um, to the reputation of its model, of you know deregulation of finance, uh, cowboy finance, and um, and then of course, or well, Trump, I would say. I mean, we all well, we may remember the Trump administration for all sorts of things, um, but um, but one of them at least really was, um, you know, continued neglect of American economic leadership, uh, not just uh, in the world but also at home, uh, and then of course the pandemic. Um, now the pandemic, one hopes, you know, these are terrible economic and human costs that people are paying, but um, one imagines that uh, these are recoverable uh, from, if you see what I mean, certainly over a, a reasonable period of time. And I think the American economy will bounce back in 2021, 2022, um, partly under the stimulus bill that uh, President Biden has signed, and partly because the next uh, next up, so to speak, is an infrastructure program, which is uh, long overdue. Um, So I think that the Biden administration is um, certainly is going to try and uh, claw its way back from having kind of fallen off this pedestal.
0: Now, George, there's already one area where China is already a world number one manufacturing. It's been the world's leading manufacturer since 2010. Yet despite all the progress, you might classify it as being big, but not strong.
1: You could, and actually it's not just uh maybe you and, and me that would might say that, um, but actually um at the at a sort of an an offline meeting, so to speak, of the National People's Congress that took place at the beginning of March of 2021, um the former industry minister who um stepped down from his role in August of 2020, uh, Mel Young Uh, basically was kind of quoted in the Chinese press as saying that, uh, you know, we're a big manufacturing company, but we're 30 years away from becoming an industrial superpower. And I thought that was kind of an interesting comment for an industry minister, any minister, but particularly an industry minister to make. And, you know, without being facetious, I mean, I think what he was basically getting at is that China is a big manufacturing Superpower, no, no question at all about its size or about its role in uh, supply chains worldwide. But uh, what China does within the manufacturing space is not always world class.
0: So we've seen a trend, haven't we, of the growth in China's service sector. Indeed, it's overtaken manufacturing as the nation's main economic force. Uh, the figures that I looked at showed that 54% of economic output last year came from the services sector, and just about 37 38% from manufacturing. Do you think China is prepared to take a global dominant position in the services sector?
1: I don't think it's realistic at this juncture, um, because the service-producing industries in China are still quite closed, um, to competition uh, both internally and from uh, foreign uh, firms as well. The growth of China's service sector has predominantly been uh, in very traditional um, service producing industries like retail, finance and real estate and indeed one of the messages that I kind of drew from the 14th five-year plan uh, which basically comes into effect from this year for the next five years uh, is sort of a downplaying really of finance and real estate which have been you know the kind of leading lights of uh, service industries in China and I think the reason for this is because I think the Chinese government probably is quite concerned about um, egregious risk taking in finance which they have certainly tried to clamp down on since 2017 but which they still worry about a lot about i mean it's quite difficult to control this um when you're continuing to create a lot of credit and debt which china is but i think they are quite keen to clip the wings of the finance industry while at the same time uh, they're very conscious too about um, the the role that real estate plays in china i mean We hear all the time the Chinese leaders talking about, you know, apartments are for living in, not for speculating. I I suspect that service producing industries as a share of the economy will continue to rise because I suspect that investment in manufacturing will not be as robust in the future as it has been. So there's a kind of a mathematical reason why this will happen.
0: So given all that we've talked about, do you think it's now inevitable that China follows its destiny to become a bigger economy, a greater global influence, and a role model?
1: I'm fairly certain, and I think most people probably are, that these are precisely the goals that China has set itself. It wants to become a bigger economy, a richer economy, a rich economy. Um, it wants to be a global leader and, uh, and a role model, as you say. Um, the question really is, don't we all? we all want to do this. And in the kind of political economy world, the question we have to ask ourselves always is, what's the program? How do you propose to do that? And is it realistic? The issue is really is, what's the what's the program? What's the beef? How How do you intend to validate those strategies and those goals? What are you going to do that's different to 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 realize so you know what this fundamentally is all about really is about productivity how do you get smarter how do you get the productivity from um, getting more bang for your buck by having you know better quality workers higher educated and more skilled uh, employees how do you use investment and um, create um, you know ubiquitous ways of spreading technology through our economy and it's it's one thing to send you know a spacecraft to the moon or to mars but actually if you don't really get the boring bits of your economy to function in a very kind of productive way then that sort of scientific and engineering accomplishment is uh, is is not to be sneezed at but it doesn't really have the kind of knock-on effects you want and that's when we come down to institutions, you know, legal institutions, competition, regulatory, education institutions. And um, here I think China has it all still to prove.
0: George, thank you, that's George Magnus, author of Red Flags, Why Xi's China is in Jeopardy. And you can find out more about the SOAS China Institute. The website is soas, that's s-o-a-s dot a-c dot u-k. Alternatively, you could type SOAS China Institute a search engine and it should pop up straight away but until next time that's all from us here at the China in Context podcast team